And I missed the interaction of everybody and especially family. How did you go with that? How did you cope with that? It was tough, but just talking and we'd do FaceTime on our iPads and things like that, so that was all right. I coped. I found it really tough personally not being able to go to work and also my training. I do a lot of outdoor running and um, being restricted where I could run and it was very mentally hard. The last thing anybody wants to hear is about someone's problems. Another tedious old man with health problems. No, I don't bother them. But I don't want this uh, virus thing. Do you ever say anything to people if they're not perhaps doing the proper social, physical distancing, whatever you'd like to call it? No, I'm not so freaked out by it. If you pop your clogs, you pop your gloves. I'm not looking forward to it. Are you thinking about this stuff? Even though it's been about six months since we first heard the phrase social distancing and we've seen how serious this pandemic is, when you're there, standing next to someone, it's still hard to believe that just being too close could impact that timeline of when we pop our clogs. Hey, it's Penny here, and I've got to say, I didn't plan on having an episode about coping with social distancing, but what I've learned is that this phrase has sort of hijacked our lives in at least a couple of ways. There's the practical changes of keeping 1.5 metres and cleaning all the things. Then there's the other stuff that's changed, the stuff that perhaps we can't see or clean, but we feel. But let's start first with the more obvious things, those things that we've started doing to deal with the strange social distancing dance that we do because we don't even know how to greet people anymore, which is particularly tricky for real estate agent Maureen Lacey, who is always greeting new people. And I just loved hearing how she's sorted out this new way of the world. I think light humour has been the key. It's like, you know, you go to a property and, and you make light of not being able to shake hands. And and now you'll even find the clients will come in and go, oh, we can't shake hands, but oh, do the elbow and um, or do we shake a foot now? Like they'll make joke of knowing the seriousness of it, but, but having the introduction still be a, like a, a sincere introduction. So I think I found that as... Um, it starts the conversations off a lot more relaxed as well rather than going and doing the formal shaking of the hands. So that that's worked out quite well. But it's more about, um, for me, with the, the team, explaining like we've got to show by example. Because I think we all go into a business and we see they might not be doing it the way they should. And you're like, oh, they should be doing that. But then you go into business that is and you're like, oh, they're doing it. <laughs> like, and that's what I've sort of noticed. And I'm like, for us, we have to be that business that does it right. Um, we at the front we actually I thought oh, I'll stop people leaning over the counter I'll put a barrier in front they just lean over the barrier <laughs> and the girls are like Maureen it's not working I'm like but surely because I didn't like the red line on the ground so I thought oh, do, do the barrier they're like Maureen you need the red line again and I'm like okay I'll get it out so we did the red line but it made me laugh that they pay attention to a red line but not a barrier um, and then I'd come out and the, one of the girls might be leaning over the counter and I'm like 
you know, the best way to avoid that is like afterwards I'd have a chance to say, send them to the meeting room and get them to sit down and write. Because one is more com- like comfortable and actually I think it's a nicer environment for them. And then once they've, they've done the, the form, like filled it in, then we can have a look at it. And, and I said, that's your way of, you don't have to say anything to them, but it just becomes a way of doing business. I oh, just want to have a seat fill it in and then I'll check it for you and that was one way to stop the um, distance because we're finding we were that was our challenge we're just used to helping and being involved and it's like we've got to change our approach so yeah and haven't we all there would be very few people who haven't done at least one of those things whether it's getting in too close when you're helping someone or just missing the point or not even noticing the barrier For some of us, it still feels hard to get used to. Kylie from Sheriff Health and Fitness, who's becoming a bit of a regular on this podcast, has definitely seen how this happens. It's probably been harder getting people to maintain the distance. Um, I guess in Tasmania we feel we're a little bit safer at the moment. Um, So that's probably been the worst thing about the whole maintaining safety protocols is you know you sort of remind people and that's all you can do um you know but I think people are just so happy to see each other and be close that they forget they've got to maintain that that distance so that's probably been the definitely the hardest thing about it all do you sometimes feel a bit bossy uh, I try and do it in a nice way, so I joke about it as I'm doing it. <laughs> you know, so um, you know, it's, don't forget to wash your hands and don't don't let touch anybody else. And if you can hit them with your kettlebell when you're swinging it out, you're too close, sort of thing. So we try and make it a bit lighthearted, so we don't sound like we're being horrible about it. But it's important to to keep everyone safe. So have you had anyone get grumpy at you about it? No. No, everybody's been really good, you know. I think their their main priority is just, you know, staying fit, staying healthy, staying alive, you know. Whew, that last line from Kylie, it just makes it seem so simple why we need to do this stuff. But still, in the moment, it can feel really hard and annoying. And look, I know I'm not the only one who's seen or heard people get fed up with all the requirements or get angry when people don't follow them correctly. Remember Caroline Thane? She's a mental health clinician who's also a regular on the podcast. She's really interested in how we respond to other people's actions. Plus, she's got some great hacks that we can all use to help remind other people to keep their distance. A really good example. I was in a big shopping centre that will remain nameless, and I there were a lot of people there that day, and um, I saw somebody in clear anxiety, clear fight and flight response, directing someone in no uncertain terms, "Step away from me, you silly person." Um, that wasn't the direct quote, but uh, because they were clearly really uncomfortable, and of, of course they were met with equally defensive language, and what ended up happening was that one person left the store in in quite a state. One thing that can sometimes um, drive that judgmental language that we use is, and, and ultimately it's about blame, 
Blame essentially is about projecting our uncomfortable feelings onto somebody else because it can be really hard to hold them inside you. So it can make you feel so much better if you just let it out and go, you are being a terrible human and not washing your hands. Mm. (laughs) So it can feel quite good in the moment because you're discharging all of this discomfort onto the person who you're talking to. But actually it's really destructive in our relationships. Um, It can sever communication quite abruptly it only takes a few sentences with a lot of blame language for people's brains to shut off and actually not hear you so if you're really wanting to get your message across it's very important that you don't use blaming language but just be aware of how uncomfortable you're feeling and actually be more transparent in how you're feeling um, and use language about that rather than um, turning it around into the other person so for example I'm feeling really uncomfortable right now. I'm just wondering if you wouldn't mind taking a step back. Mm. Sounds a lot better than you're meant to be physically distancing. Have you not heard of that? Mm. (laughs) Um, Which we've probably all heard out and about. Yeah. Yeah. How do we handle other people who aren't physical distancing Mm. in a respectful way and perhaps even remind ourselves? So sometimes it can be you can give people a cue without any words. So um, if you actually just step away from somebody you'll be surprised at how much people especially if people are standing more closely together it'll be noticeable if all of a sudden you step back so I've done that when I've been um, standing in a line for my coffee and I've stepped back and I've just noticed people giving me the eye and going oh and just stepping back and the nice thing then is I just give them a smile which is just this unwritten rule of oh yes we better remember to do that (laughs) what about family and friends Um, Oh, yeah. I think they're often the hardest conversations because they're the relationships that we're really invested in. A really good example was we had a family member who had to go into quarantine. Um, They'd been interstate and they came home and we we did the drive-by and my kids and I, you know, waved, hi, how are you going? And they wanted us to go right up to the gate and that was clearly not going to be 1.5. And also they wanted to give us food. And I said, oh, that's so kind because I, I had to remind myself of their aim and their purpose and why they wanted to do it. And it was about connection and it was about desperately um, trying to maintain a role of, of helping me and our family so I had to gently say oh look that is so lovely thank you but I'm not sure again we I'm not sure that we're really meant to do that Uh, maybe hang on to it for another two weeks (laughs) Um, so but but I think often those discussions are the hardest because they're the relationships yeah as I said that we're invested in they're the people that we love so that idea of yeah I want to do it too but we can't like oh I'd love to give you a hug but we can't so you're saying I get it yeah, and also you validate their their feeling in it. So you, I think it's important to think about why are they doing this? Um, and if it comes from a place of kindness, absolutely make sure you recognise that and then share their frustrations perhaps with not being allowed to. Just transparency is really, really important. It makes me uncomfortable maybe when you do that. Is it okay? So I think the other, the other really good tip is if you use yourself – So talk about how it makes you feel um, rather than it being, again, the other person. So getting, again, using blame language is really unhelpful. You are not allowed to do that. 
sounds very different to, oh, I feel a bit uncomfortable accepting your gift. Would it be okay if we don't do that for now? So, is there a tip in there that might work for you to help us all keep doing this thing? Now, I do want to give a shout out to those industries that are helping us to do this. They've been implementing changes in their workplaces that help us to keep caring. Let's hear again from Bianca Welsh, who we met in episode one. She's in the hospitality and tourism industry, where there have been lots and lots of changes. It was a huge amount of work. Um, I was, I've never, like when people say, oh, Sophia had a bit of a break. Like, no, this was, we've worked more than we ever have um, in our life. And when you own your own business, you know that you're doing, you know, those 60, 70, 80 hour weeks, you're never really stopping. Um, And it was just a constant, you know, we love procedures and policies and having things very clearly documented for our team. So I was spending a huge amount of time on, writing up the new procedures or sending out the comms of the you know what you need to do when you arrive to work or what's the process if you're unwell or all those sorts of things or cleaning procedures and then you would go to pick up you know say a pepper grinder and go oh no we're going to need to sanitize those as well or there's so many there was a everywhere you looked required a new way of doing things which was just I think it was, um, I guess, just more time-consuming than anything. Did it take the love out of your job a little bit? Because that stuff sounds kind of boring, perhaps, compared to what you would usually be doing. Yeah, it did. Yes, it did. Is the, is the, uh, I think because it's kind of looking at it in two parts as well, where the takeaway, that really took the love out of what we do completely. It felt very soulless. What's up? Um, when you do what you do in restaurants and hospitality and tourism, you want to create an experience for your guest. You want to see the reaction of what you're doing and what you're serving. Uh, and when you don't see that, it takes all the, all the enjoyment out of your job. So to, to, put a lot of love still into what we're serving you know kitchen did an amazing job in creating a really amazing takeaway menu um you know james curating a, sp- a certain wine to go with that meal and then it just goes out the door and you just don't know if they're going to enjoy that or if they didn't like it or was it didn't even get to them in an okay state like was it hot enough was it you know all the things that really took the enjoyment out of it and it felt, it actually was more anxiety inducing those days of takeaway than it is having a restaurant full of people. I, I, am, I noted it the other night, um, like a Saturday night, we had a full restaurant um, with, of course, spacing, dis, you know, correct spacing. Noted. Noted. <laughs> and um, I stood back and thought, I am so much more chill on a night of dining and guests, 55 people in front of me, than I was doing... 55 people takeaway. It was awful. Do you think the hospitality industry can fit into self-care, be part of people's self-care, going out with friends, getting out of the house, making time for yourself? Absolutely. Um, and from a, the hospitality industry, from a worker's perspective as well, the, the amount of times that the 
um, team would say, oh, this is the most amount of people I've been around when we were doing those takeaway shifts. Um, this is the most amount of people I've seen or I've got to talk to or um, in weeks. Um, in psychology, you talk about the salutogenic effect, which is, you know, we often talk about pathogenic, which is the, the bad, the negative effects of something, particularly illness, um, and that there can be that positive effect, which they found in studies um, in Antarctica specifically with salutogenic, that they people that were going there with a certain personality type were coming back having had the most amazing, positive, life-changing experience. Uh, and I think that um, having a break from dining in restaurants from a customer's perspective and then to be able to go out again, you kind of smell and experience you you hear the music you feel the um the enthusiasm of the waiter and the love on the plate even more and I hope that that doesn't go away I know when you are exposed to it more obviously that starts to wane but I hope that people can hold on to that from a consumer's perspective how special that first meal out was because I know I certainly had that um and then from the yeah from the employees like a people in industry I hope that we can have a more positive um, impact from working in the industry to connect with people and to be that conduit of um, that they've probably felt very lonely um, during this time and that they've been able to come out and connect with the waiter or connect with the person that they're sitting in front of and dining with Um, and I hope that that can be a meaningful experience to the employee. Now this This is the stuff that, while we're not forced to make policy and procedures about it or tick any boxes, this is the stuff that we feel. Yeah, it's not just wiping things down. Social or physical distancing is having an impact on what we get out of work and life. Which brings us to the pointy end. Bianca mentioned that word, lonely. And there's no doubt that restrictions and isolation has impacted the way we're able to be with people. Nicholas Hookway is a sociologist at the University of Tasmania and he studies loneliness. As you listen to Nick talk about what it means to be lonely, it's hard not to think about your own experience and what might be going on for the people close to you. Our social lives are diverse and complex and they're made up of a whole range of different ties. Some of them are weak ties, moderate ties, strong ties, okay? And the strong ties are right down that quality end. You know, these are the friends that you want to be all the, around all the time. You could go on holiday with them and you feel buoyed, you feel better by being around them. You, They nourish you. Uh, and obviously through our significant others as well if we're in a partner relationship that can be a key protective barrier to to loneliness loneliness but it's also the weak ties um it's when you're dropping into the coffee shop and and smiling and having that exchange with someone and but it's also regular so it's the regularity of that contact and perhaps going beyond the smile and saying how's your day how you going and i know at the local cafe that that's happened for me and now i pop in and i'm I'm the regular and I'm like, oh, how did the, you know, how did that workout go that you were telling me about yesterday morning? And are you going to keep going with that gym membership? And you and the, you get that extra depth with the relationship and that brings quality. But that person doesn't have to come around to my house and have dinner together. But so it's that spectrum and nourishing that, that that's 
that from those weak ties right up to those strong ties. But making sure, trying to make sure where we can that that the, that there's quality across that spectrum. What are the misconceptions, perhaps, about what loneliness is and what loneliness importantly feels like? So one thing that the the research suggests is that we can make a distinction between social isolation and loneliness. So social isolation refers more to that sense of having uh, minimal contact or a lack of contact with others. Um, So it might be living alone. So we know in Australia that one in four people live alone. Um, It might be having few social network ties. It might be having infrequent social connection. So that's more like social isolation, whereas loneliness is more about that subjective feeling of a sense in which you're not satisfied with the quality of your relationships. It's an unpleasant set of feelings where where those connection needs are not being met. So a person who might have a small social network uh, might not experience loneliness. Um, Likewise, a person with a large social network might still feel lonely because it's really about the quality of those relationships rather than the quantity. Or we might say loneliness is more about quality and social isolation is more about quantity. As you're talking, I'm thinking of that idea of you could be with a group of people um, but you feel like no one really understands you or no one gets what you're talking about or uh, you don't fit in. Is it that sort of stuff? Yeah, it's exactly right. It's that feeling, that sense of feeling lonely in a crowd. Um, you're with a bunch of people. Perhaps you've, you know, maybe we've all felt like this at times. You know, you've been at a party, you're surrounded by people, but you feel lonely. We need to be able to physically distance, but we need to learn, relearn, keep practicing the art of, of social connection, reaching out beyond ourselves and, and recognising that our, our sense of value and worth in life is, is connected to others. We know that loneliness is bad for us. As I said, we know that social connection is, is key to our sense of well-being. And some are suggesting that loneliness is perhaps the the new smoking or, you know, it's uh, it's linked to increased a whole range of bad health outcomes from heart disease to a risk of dementia to risk of, of depression and, and suicide. Um, recent data um, from uh, Relationships Australia report looking at data um, over, uh, over a, about a 15, 16-year period shows that one in 10 people Um, report lacking social support and one in six people report experiencing emotional loneliness so that's that kind of qualitative feeling of feeling like you're missing out or that there's a sense in which the relationships that you have aren't providing that sense of connectedness that that you want to have yeah there are some take-homes in there which makes me wonder what's going through your mind right now especially if you know what it's like to be lonely. And in the next episode, we're going to learn more about what we can do to better support those around us. But maybe right now, we need to grab a couple more life skills for our COVID kits that help us look after us. Let's welcome back clinical psychologist David Backer. 
because I don't know about you, but I want to learn more about that phrase self-care and how we actually do it. So self-care is not just bubble baths. I think a lot of people think of it like it's just bubble baths and eating chocolate. Um, <laughs> and look, maybe, maybe that's a little bit of your self-care, but but there are a lot of things that that doesn't necessarily cover. So so self-care is any anything that you do to, to put the oxygen mask on yourself before others. So is anything that you do that that makes you feel like you've got more to give um, to work, to other people, to your family, that could involve um, doing something by yourself. It could involve having a night in and watching Netflix or something like that. But if that's a coping strategy that you continue to use and ultimately it doesn't really solve any long-term problems, it, it may not be. Uh, may not be great, may not be great long-term. Other types of self-care might be um, uh, having dinner at a friend's house. Like that could be a really important part of self-care, especially if you do it in a nice casual and lighthearted way and it's not like, you know, this is our only dinner out for a whole month, make sure that it's fun. <laughs> like it, It's so busy now, we're all so busy that, you know, maybe we will try and catch up with a friend and it, it might end up only being, you know, once a month. But that catch up may feel like work because you're sort of have fun, uh, have fun. Yeah, exactly, blows <laughs> have fun. Um, so anything that you can do that makes you feel comfortable, but also like a sense of personal growth. There's three. There's three principles that we often come back to in psychology when it comes to things that we enjoy and things that are beneficial long term, um, and that's things that we find a sense of achievement from things that we assign a sense of autonomy in, like a sense of control, and also things that we find a sense of connection and belonging with. So that might be connection with other people, might be connection with a, a broader idea, connection with um, the, the environment. But if we look back at achievement, autonomy and connection, then, then, then basically we're trying to find some activities that encourage any of those, if not all three, and, um, you know, if, if having a bubble bath gives you a sense of autonomy and a sense of achievement, like, yes, I have carved out this time for myself and that was good because I deserve it, then great. But, <laughs> but there might be a whole bunch of other things in that self-care menu that, um, that, that also tick those boxes. Self-care menu. I like that. I'd never thought about it like that before. And I reckon that's something we could do couldn't we? Notice that I'm practicing using my we statements. It's been a big episode of learning, just thinking about the many ways that social or physical distancing has changed our lives. And of course, the people around us are part of it as well. And next episode, we're going to look at the sorts of things people are doing to support those around them. You know, our comfort food is often something we remember from our childhood. I might like something from my childhood, but that's different to what my mother, who's 87, likes from her childhood. The, the most important thing is that the food that's provided goes in someone's mouth. And it might look good, but if it goes into their house and they go, hmm, not quite sure what that is, and it sits aside, then it hasn't been a benefit. 
Oh yeah, the learning continues on Season 3 of Health Speak, thanks to Bell Bay Aluminium via the Georgetown Council as part of the Healthy Georgetown Project. Thank you.